Well, welcome to a special podcast today as we interview founder and CEO of Poolworks, John O'Brien. John and I recorded this on a phone in his office. Uh, while the sound quality might not be the best, the quality of the information, the inspiration, the context, the stories, the Leadership 101 from John O'Brien certainly is. Ready, set, splash. Pentair Smart Pools are here. Creating smart solutions means taking a holistic approach. As new technologies emerge, people compare the experience of buying from you to your competitors and the experience they receive. At Pentair, there's a strong emphasis on putting customers first. In a world where new technologies pop up all the time, the companies that put customers first are in a position to win. We win, but only the right way. Visit pentairpool.com.au today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a very special treat today. We at Ready, Set, Splash do try and make sure we are covering our entire industry. We're speaking with uh, some of the best that there are in our terrific industry. And it is absolutely my pleasure today to be joined on the Ready, Set, Splash podcast by the CEO, by the founder of Poolworks, John O'Brien. Good morning. Good morning, David. Good to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you are incredibly busy. We've got a few questions. We just want to dive straight in. Are we ready? We sure are. Okay, excellent. Look, Poolworks is a household name in this country. It is a power brand, not just in pool and spa, but across franchising. Uh, It started somewhere quite a few years back uh, with an idea. Can you tell us a little more, John, about where that idea started and the way it's evolved over the years? Yeah, look, I, entrepreneurialism, I suppose, uh, is deeply rooted in my family's blood. Uh, one part of the family uh, started Breville just after the First World War. So uh, growing up in a small business family, uh, uh, business was always going to be my ticket. Um, I was lucky enough to get introduced to franchising while I was working with uh, Cadbury Schweppes back in my 20s, having a, a good uh, corporate career and fell in love with the concept of franchising. What I mean by that is um, franchising simply is small business done well. Yes. So it creates systems and processes um, that enable small businesses to concentrate on customer service and uh, and fulfilling their dream and vision and passion. So I fell in love with it. Uh, it's been my ticket since I was about 28, bought my first uh, franchise business when I was 28, and uh, somewhere along the journey when I was about 38, I actually sold uh, all five of the brands I'd developed and went off around the world looking for my next business. And I had a handful of things I was looking for. I was actually looking for an industry, not a business. I was looking for an industry that had uh, both service and retail. Um, but was uh, predominantly growing in the home service sector. Right. I wanted to have high gross profit margins. I didn't want it to be a new industry. I wanted to be an established industry. And most of all, I was looking for a disorganised industry. Um, And whilst in California, I saw a pull truck go down the road. It was a rusted out, beat up pull truck with a uh, surfer dude driving it with loud music and oil dropping out of it. And it had a pull pole and a surfboard hanging out the back. And I figured there was a disconnect between that guy pulling up into a wealthy home with a pool. And it turned out I was right Right. globally. Came home and bought a little business in the western suburbs of Brisbane with a store and and a few vans. And we we went about establishing uh, systems and processes for how to do pool service well. And uh, and that's where we started. What year was that, John? 
Uh, we go back 30 years uh, next year, so we're going back to about 1992. Wow, so you can cast your mind back to a moment. You had a framework you were looking for. There's the surfy guy with a leaky van and a pole in the back, the man in the van. Not very professional, but, but definitely uh, engaging in a market where there was a future and opportunity you could see. You came back, you started. What next? How did it grow from there? Well, it's fabulous to see that disconnect because if you're a pool owner, you're wealthier than most. If you're a pool owner that has your home, serp, your pool serviced, you're wealthier again. So you have an expectation of a quality service, yes. and nobody in the world was doing that at the time. Swimart had just commenced in Australia. A small business in uh, Florida, Pinchapenny, had just commenced. So we went about establishing ourselves as a, uh, a very successful, systematised, using modern marketing techniques and purchasing techniques, training techniques, uh, business within the pool home service sector. Um, we realised along the way that there was a huge opportunity in the commercial sector for service. Yes. And the commercial sector provided the balance in the seasonality of our business. So they're constant all year round and took out the winter dip in our business. So we went about, we attacked the commercial uh, sector uh, via real estates first, because we knew if you picked up one real estate, you invariably picked up 20 clients. Um, and we now today have six commercial streams. We have real estate, we have hospitality, we have institutions like defence, um, pool builders where we help them do handovers, uh, insurance work, and, and a sixth that I can't remember, <laughs> a strata title there. Very good. Uh, so once we had uh, our commercial and domestic service business up, we realised that we were pri primarily a, a do-it-for-me business and we're leaving the do-it-yourself market on the table. Right. So we went about establishing our retail stores, and a funny thing happened on the way is that we realised that our retail stores were the best marketing arm for our service business. So we created a real opportunity to convert retail clients who may or may not come back into permanent service clients. And that was the other thing I was looking for at the start, was regular clients. Yeah. I love that in any business. Of course. What we call hub and spoke. So our businesses today are anchored by the retail store, which is the hub of the business, and the three service vans that operate out of it. John, when you started, um, did you start with the goal in mind to be a franchise business? And how soon were you able to start franchising? Yeah, look, I started my career in franchising um, pretty well straight out of the box out mm. of uni and corporate. Um, so I'm a franchise guy. That That's my... Uh, that's what I do. That's the model for you is always going to be a franchise model. Yeah, and yeah. because it's about enabling Australians to um, uh, to own their business yes. uh, in the best way possible. So when I went looking for that disorganised industry back in 92, um, it was to franchise a disorganised industry. And in California, I found the pool industry and uh, went about franchising just brings... Uh, order and organisation to a disorganised industry. So, yeah, franchising was the aim. Look, and you've obviously done something right with the growth that you've had. So let's talk a little bit about that growth. Poolworks has grown rapidly and consistently year on year on year. John, could you share with us maybe a couple of keys? That could be anything, whether it's cultural process, values, branding, marketing. Maybe it's a mix of all of those things and others, but that have helped produce this continued growth that you've experienced with the Poolworks brand. Look, our, our business is driven by two groups of five things. So there are our five corporate KPIs 
and then there's our five values. I'll talk to the first, uh, the corporate KPIs. Mm -hmm. So the first one and the most important one is increasing our franchise partners' um, average profitability every year. Yes. Um, You don't hear about that in franchise world very often, but our job and my entire support team is about increasing the profitability of our people. Uh, because at the end of the day, people join our brand to create a better future for their families. And how they do that is by having a more profitable business. That's our number one corporate KPI. The things that support that are increasing our brand awareness every year, which we measure. Uh, Everything has a score beside it. If if you can't measure it, don't bother. (laughs) So we have external brand research that makes sure that we're, we're the number one unaided recall brand in the country, which we pretty well pull off every quarter for the last 10 years. Congratulations. That's a big achievement, John. Yeah, we simply ask consumers all around every cap city, um, if you were to have your pool serviced or you go to a retail store, which brands come to mind? It's a pretty simple question. Um, So that's number two. Uh, Number three is that we uh, have a satisfaction score done, third-party research done amongst our franchise partners, which simply scores how happy they are with the, the service they're getting for the fees they pay us. Yes. Very, it's a raw score and it keeps us very honest along the way. Um, I'll probably move on to our values, which most organisations um, talk about values. They might put them on the wall and nobody even bothers to read them, you know. <laughs> um, but, but in our organisation, our five values, um, which are basically about your culture, it's about how you do things around yes. here. Um, and they actually run our business and determine every decision we make. They weren't developed by me, they were developed by our people and they've evolved and been added to over time. But the first of those values and the reason it's first is people first always. So for example, every decision we make in our business um, is through the lens of the client. Sit in the client's, stand in the client's shoes and look back at your brand. Mm. And if you make that, uh, if every plan, every marketing decision, every time you make a mistake, you go and stand in the client's shoes and look back at your brand, you'll probably solve it. Um, So people first always, making sure we look after the people in our brand. You know, so we have things like uh, a women's initiative group. So, you know, women in our brand um, who who actually control more than half of our franchises uh, have their own network and their own group to encourage female leadership in the business. Uh, We have a family welfare fund. That we, you know, we believe that charity brings it begins at home, and we put all of our charity funds into a, a welfare fund that does small acts of kindness when our people run into headwinds along the way. Um, we have uh, things like professional development programs and, and body, mind, and soul, where two percent of everybody's wage, uh, another two percent on top of that, is provided to help people do uh, things like physical and mental uh, improvement. Um, and of course, a very healthy bonus structure. We share fifty percent of all of our over budget performance with our people. Um, so they're just some of the things we've done. Um, do the right thing it might sound pretty simple value, <laughs> but it goes to ethics. It does. So it's like sixteen-year-old um, Johnny, Mrs. Smith. What are you doing, letting her take that salt bag out of the car? For heaven's sake, do the right thing. Pick the bag exactly. up and take Very it. Very good. You know. Um, find the better way is the franchise piece. So this is what's kept us ahead of the game. Mm. So it's only once in 30 years have we never beat prior year, and that was only by 1%. We've actually averaged double-digit growth for 30 years. 
last year we did 13% year-on-year growth, um, which is pretty good. More importantly is our same store growth, which last year was 8%, every store grew by 8%. But do the right thing means that we every year raise the bar on ourselves. We're always looking to tweak the machine to make it better. Um, yeah, a process of continual improvement across these frameworks that you talk about driving culture, because culture, I suppose, John, sits upstream of, of you know, what turns into behaviour and drives the brand through not just our industry, but to consumers as well. Haywood's 1.85 horsepower TriStar VS Pump is built to last even under the most demanding conditions. Super quiet in operation with easy to customise speeds, countdown timers and priming time. It even shows real-time power consumption in watts for immediate feedback to maximise those energy savings. It's designed for simple installation. TriStar variable speed pumps can also operate in standalone mode or connect to the Haywood OmniLogic automation system for seamless control. Visit haywoodpool.com.au for details. That's haywood-pool.com au today. So many businesses, and you know, some of the people listening to this are probably there, is that they've done very well over a long period of time, and then they hit a wall, and then they look back after five years and say, you know what, our sales haven't grown for five years, mm. and that's because the temptation, the natural te- temptation to human beings, is that you you sit on the fence, and in business, sitting on the fence is not an option. Uh, you either get off mm. or you go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so finding the better way, constantly tweaking and improving the machine is so important. And the last piece, piece which is our entrepreneurial piece, yes. which is the dare to succeed. So, uh, uh, yeah, we, we very much believe that uh, our role when people come into our business and to be small business people is to always find the next opportunity for our people, Mm. to always be looking under the rocks and saying, how can we make the store go faster? How can we increase our average transaction value? How can we squeeze another 20 grand out of that van? How can we be more efficient in what we do? So always finding a way around. So every problem is an opportunity. Um, during the global financial crisis, like a lot of people in this industry, we grew at double-digit growth through that. You know, during COVID, you know, we, we put our hat on back in March last year and said, we're going to repeat the GFC and be successful right through this. As I pointed out before, 13% year-on-year growth over the last 12 months. So just having that attitude of we're going to win. John, obviously outcomes are incredibly important. You're measuring everything. You said if you can't measure it, then there's no point actually doing it. So, so outcomes are important that you're measuring. You've been able to articulate very clearly what those outcomes are but also driven by process. Now, question without notice here, I suppose, John, the tension between some of those processes and wanting the outcomes. Is it outcomes that are driven by processes or outcomes first or processes first? You know, what's the tension sometimes between delivering on, on those two structures? We actually have a name for our process. We have a name for our system. It's called Odyssey. Odyssey being Greek for journey. You know? mm. um, so we believe that first and foremost, a business must systematise everything that moves. And that goes for everybody in this industry, let alone mm-hmm. any business. And yeah, there's a famous American uh, uh, author, Michael Gerber. Uh, yes. Uh, work uh, on your business, not in your business. Uh, E-Myth. Yeah, E-Myth. You know? yeah. So he had a huge influence on me way back in the day. Um, and we go about, we have a, we, every single person in our business has a responsibility uh, in, by June 30 of every year to have rewritten and revised and signed off 
on the system uh, that they work in their patch in our business every every day um, so that our business doesn't sit on the shoulders of the individuals it sits in the manuals that run the business very good and they're the ones that we tweak all day every yes. day that's the, if you're going to sell your business that's the intellectual property that the new person goes well when I give you a check and you go I can pick up the manual and run it thank you very much very good and to those who are listening a highly recommended book there from, from John O'Brien here and uh, I would echo those thoughts The E-Myth by Michael Gerber bringing together the technician the manager and the entrepreneur side of your business all three of those matter and uh, it's highly unlikely you can do those yourselves without putting in place great systems, processes that drive towards those outcomes. I think you've articulated that. Poolworks has, has, as we've discussed and you've articulated there, grown rapidly uh, and consistently over a long period of time. But it's gone beyond our shores. I think there's probably a little bit of interest, John, on uh, where Poolworks can now be found and uh, a little bit around the process of that expansion. Yeah, look, about 15 years ago, about halfway into our journey, well, to be honest, I always wanted to find an industry that was had an opportunity globally. But about 15 years ago, we, we saw there was an opportunity. The last thing I wanted to do was get a phone call from somebody's auntie in Mumbai um, that said we'd like to take pool works there. It never works. So we tend to be very proactive. We're very much a planning uh, organisation. So we engage with consultancies for 12 months and we set out a global plan. And we identified 15 countries that were hot and rich, so they had pools, um, that we thought had the economic model to support our brand. And we went and registered our uh, domain name uh, and our trademark in those 15 countries. Yes. Um, it was, you know, 15 years ago, we were in every state and territory in Australia, as we are today in most country towns, and we did what a lot of Australian companies do going overseas, we moved to New Zealand, um, and that's done very well for us. We now have our, what's called a master franchisee in New Zealand who heads that charge. We were 46% up year on year last year in New Zealand, so we've got a real run on. But, uh, of course, America, America is the, uh, the Big Apple that has a pool population that's 12 times bigger than Australia. Yes. Um, and uh, there's 10,000 pool shops uh, in the US. There's 1,000 in Australia. Um, and there's a franchise company out of Florida called Pincher Penny that does very well. And right. that, that was pretty it, pretty well it. They're much like we are. So uh, we tackled the Big Apple. We, um, the US, not New York, we bought a business in Phoenix, Arizona that had a handful of stores. We spent a few years adapting and adopting our, our uh, model for the US market, yes. which was similar but different. Uh, it's not the same. Uh, we moved our head office from Phoenix to Dallas, which is a city of 8 million. Texas is a fabulous pool population. Sure uh, and uh, we went about expanding our brand across what we call the Sun Belt, from California to Florida. Uh, so today we have, um, uh, globally, we have approaching 200 stores. We have over 600 vans. And uh, we have other plans from there. I mean, just before COVID hit, we were in advanced discussions to buy equity in a, a brand in the US that has over 100 stores. And, of course, the, biggest, uh, the second biggest pool market in the world is Brazil, um, which is a market that we've been to several times and we have a lot of interest, but at the moment it needs to sort a few things out before we touch it. 
Our friends, the very talented and hardworking team at AIS Water have been innovating for decades. Did you know that independent tests and research by Griffith University recently showed that when using liquid or granular chlorine, that pool water was unbalanced for up to 80% of the time? Yet, when tested with AIS Water's disinfection technology, the water was in balance 100% of the time. This same technology has also been shown to save up to 1.6 million litres of water in a 50 metre pool. It's time to farewell history and embrace the new normal of Australian-made water disinfection with AIS water. You talked about the US there uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, and the stores and tweaking and, uh, and working out what was same, same, but different. Uh, no doubt there were some barriers and challenges. Anything in specific there that sort of stands out to you that might have been an unexpected challenge uh, or yeah. a difference between our two markets, John, you can share? Absolutely. Um, I, I remember when we bought the business uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and uh, we straight away realised that pool technicians largely didn't, didn't wear shoes. Uh, so uh, <laughs> wow. we, we issued them with, the, with their uniforms and we issued them with their new footwear, and the next day half of them never turned up. Um, I remember when we, we took on a business in Tucson, Arizona, um, and there were 15 extremely well-groomed uh, Mexican service techs who, who are fabulous, by the way. Um, and uh, that, that business that we bought, uh, the first question that came from those 15 Mexican technicians was, um, could we have a rostered day off? And when I made an inquiry, I found out that they actually have no annual leave. They have no sick leave. Uh, so we Incredible. gave them five days annual leave slash six, six days, and uh, we have had a 100-yard line down the road of technicians from competitors that wanted to come and join us. Um, Simply because you go back to the value proposition that I'd pick up, you said before, of do the right thing. Good point. Good, really good point. It, it, probably two other interesting ones with the American market is that um, I'll, probably less than 10% of U.S. pools um, have salt chlorination. Yes. Uh, and they actually have very antiquated basic equipment. They don't have multi-speed pumps. Um, they largely are still at DE filters or cartridge filters. So um, not as a sophisticated equipment market. But here's an interesting thing. I remember when we started this business 30 years ago, mm. most pool servicing in Australia was done on a weekly basis. And it was very easy to see that was not a model that was economically viable. It would be better to call once uh, in a month. And uh, the US business is still a weekly service business. And the minimum wage is seven bucks an hour. Right. So it's, it's atrocious, but anyway. Yeah, yeah very different. And, but there's more expansion planned for the brand of down possibly to Brazil. So watch this space maybe in the future, John. Absolutely. Okay. John, you've been very, very generous with your time, but I do want to ask one more question, and that is, we, we just touched on Brazil, but what's what's next? What do you see for next for either pool works or even more broadly speaking, you've got some you know experience, some depth of knowledge in this industry now, John. What do you see next for our, our industry? What an exciting time, though. I mean, mm. for most of us in this industry, once we get in it, we never leave it. Uh, the chlorine gets in our blood. It sure does. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to, to some extent, the opportunity in this industry has never f- stopped um, presenting itself, but it's probably presenting itself in another inflection point as we speak. Mm. Uh, for example, um, the commercial sector is going ahead in leaps and bounds, uh, whether it's in 
uh, hotels or body corporates. Every new commercial dwelling today seems to be built with a more sophisticated water feature or swimming pool or whatever. I don't believe that the pool pro market, the retail service sector, um, is adopting and adapting itself quick enough to service and maintain and do justice mm. uh, to those commercial pools. They're mostly run and owned by very professional corporate large organisations that have very high expectations around technology and reporting and compliance and all of those things. Mm. And most of us are way behind when we're dragging the chain. We've actually lost some corporate clients. So commercial is 30% of our business. Wow. Um, but we've actually lost some commercial client, large commercial clients around Australia because our reporting and compliance and technology was had not kept up with what they're demanding. Yeah. So as a result of that, um, we've taken pause. We've recruited over the last 12 months a chief technology officer uh, to, and a chief innovation officer. So probably said those back to front. So innovation needs to be, our industry needs to continue to innovate. In yes. fact, I think we need to catch up in our innovation. Um, and then once you implement the innovation, most of it is technology-based, so we, we have both sides of that covered. We've actually created a project pipeline in our business, so we have somewhere in the order of 20 projects that have qualified. Um, we've created a pool of capital to fund those projects, and we've identified the first three. Um, so over the last three years, we partnered with the large American software company NetSuite, which is owned by Oracle, Yes, and we've created an entire ERP system that runs our franchise partners' back of house. Uh, it runs their retail point of sale, and it runs their service business. So the, the core part of our day-to-day is under control, mm. it's all cloud-based, it's protected from a security point of view from hackers, hopefully, um, and we can uh, delve into that database of clients and manage that a lot more efficiently mm. and get great live dashboard data on how our business is going. So you, you're empowered to make uh, real-time decisions about your business. But we've also got this pipeline of projects and innovation in place to roll out. So innovation through technological implementation projects, better servicing the needs uh, and the demands of a what is a growing and significant commercial market here and abroad. Anything else, John, that you see for our industry? There's certainly a couple of very imminent challenges in our industry. So over the next 12 months, 18 months, um, uh, and I'm not sure that we're all across it as much as we should be, but because we have this northern southern hemisphere business, we're experiencing in the US and we'll experience here in the back half of the year significant supply chain challenges. Yes. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a shortage of microchips in the world. There's a shortage of containers in the world. There's a shortage of a number of things. I think many of our listeners right now, John, have really just pricked their ears up at, mm-hmm. and, and that would be experiencing this uh, and, and seeing this already start unfolding. How do you see that yeah. changing or, or, or worsening, I suppose, or improving? Well, I mean, just to give us an example, I mean, some of our equipment in the US is on a six-month back order. Yeah. Um, spas are on a 12-month back order. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'd be really, you know, we're certainly moving ahead at the moment, uh, working very closely with our suppliers, our manufacturers to, uh, to make sure that we've uh, got a reporting system in place from them to us 
so that we've got uh, good lead time on on any uh, demand uh, supply issues or shortages and making sure we're doing a number of innovative things like uh, ordering in advance, bringing forward uh, early buy orders and maybe having two or three early buy orders between now and Christmas yes. and those sorts of things. So working more closely with your manufacturer on planning and sourcing and supply. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is about labour. So if you're not experiencing it already, you will, again, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, is that there is a labour shortage uh, in our industry, not just our industry, in in Australia. And the RBA, the government, is driving towards a 4% uh, uh, unemployment rate, which is almost record, almost full employment. So over the next two years, we're going to see labour shortages in our business that we haven't seen for years And that's where I think that we need to be looking a lot more creatively and outside the box on where we're sourcing our people from. For example, females in our industry. I mean, our industry is so underrepresented by women, not so much at a leadership level. We've seen that really come into fore over the last couple of years. But female technicians, they're the best technicians that we have but we don't have a way of attracting them or leading into them. The government, federal government's providing support in that area. We certainly as an industry need to be developing those career pathways and you know, I'm really encouraging spas to look closely at bringing apprenticeships into the service side of our business as you are in construction side. So um, uh, labour challenges are ahead of us and uh, we need to be doing things to make sure that we're uh, opening the uh, opportunity up outside of the traditional areas, but also doing things to keep and retain and motivate the people you've got. Yeah. You know, for example, we're looking at things at the moment like um, providing a, uh, a COVID, um, COVID uh, what would the word be, um, loyalty bonus where um, for those technicians and retail staff that are still with us at the end of next summer that we provide a loyalty bonus as a thank you for staying with us during these difficult times. Mm. John, you've been incredibly uh, informative and and revealed really a lot about the process, the story and how you see the future. Just as we come to a close, I suppose I'll just open the floor to you, John, as we come to a close, any other comments that you'd, you'd like to leave us with? Um, I suppose one of the things that uh, uh, I feel sad about often in my industry, I was down visiting my daughter in Launceston the other day, and and as we do, you know, I couldn't help but call into the three pool stores in Lonnie. Um, And all of those people, and particularly one couple, been in the industry 30 years, in their 60s, lovely people, ran a good business in the day, ran out of a bit of energy, ran out of a bit of puff, And, you know, their options were to... They'd thought about selling, they didn't know how to sell, and their options were they're thinking about shutting the doors at the end of the lease. Now, I I think it's a huge threat to our industry that 30-year veterans, pool professionals, take that IP and retire and shut the doors. Um, It's also a sad day for them and the industry. One of the things... I think is a challenge where the average age of a, uh, an aftermarket operator in our industry is probably between 55 and 65 years of age today, is that we create pathways and opportunities for our people to professionalise and package their businesses so that they're very competitive and able to be sold to, to middle Australia, to executives, to 40-year-old executives who are well-educated, well-trained, We have never had 
so many franchise inquiries in our history, let alone the quality of the inquiries. 45-year-old people have been sitting at home working for the last 12 months that don't want to go back to working for the man mm. and they're looking to buy a business and they're also saying, you know what, buy, and therefore I'm looking to buy a franchise business because it's more secure, but I don't really want to buy fast food or restaurants because they've been hit by COVID um, and they're looking at home and home service and home product because that's where all the growth is. If we can find targets in our industry, I'm not talking about pool works, but just generally, if we can professionalise our businesses for sale and match those with middle, America, middle Australia executives, we can bring a lot of new blood to our industry, bring a lot of youth to our industry. John, I think you finish really on a very positive thought, and that is we are actually an industry that is in significant demand. We are in a big growth phase at the moment. We've never been more relevant to to Backyard, to Australians, and hello, kia ora, to our New Zealand listeners as well. John, uh, on behalf of our listeners and all of us here at Ready, Set, Splash, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, David. Thank you, man. Widra is proud to bring you Magnapool, the world's best and only true mineral pool system, providing the very best in water comfort and clarity. Magnapool is also beneficial to the environment thanks to its unique no-salt formula. Partnered with the all-new Hydroxinator IQ, showcasing innovative features giving you control over scheduling, pump speed, boost and low mode, heaters, lights, pH and chlorine. All this via Wi-Fi connectivity from your smartphone. Smart Sensors and Ultra Long Life Cell ensures Magnapool owners save time, save energy and save money. Find out more by going to Magnapool today. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed some of the information, inspiration, story, ideas, thoughts and processes that uh, John was willing to share with us there. So thank you again, John O'Brien from Poolworks. Whether you've been listening in the car or at work or in the office or at home or doing a myriad of different tasks, you've had your AirPods or some other nondescript, uh, non-branded type of headphone listening device in, certainly hope that you've enjoyed it. I want to say thank you for joining us. I want to say thank you to you, our industry women and men, making the world a better place. You make Australia and New Zealand better by the work that you turn up and do so tirelessly and so professionally every day. We will see you next time on the Ready, Set, Splash podcast. (laughs) 